This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you by the team from Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexually diverse communities. Coming to you from Joy's Victorian Pride Centre studios in Boomerang Country, I'm your host, Rachel Cook, joined this week at the Victorian Pride Centre by Caleb Hawke. Now, Caleb, you are very excited about tonight's program, maybe a little bit too excited, (laughs) so I'm going to let you talk about what we're talking about. Well, look, you know, I I think as everyone listens to shows, I get really excited when we talk about women's health and women's issues and women's culture. This episode, we are also going to be talking to Lisa Salmon, who is from Wicked Women. If you're not familiar with Wicked Women, um, if you've been to the Victorian Pride Center recently, there is an exhibition called the, a, a Queer Gaze, The Queer Gaze, uh, that is in the foyer. And it is a, you know, really amazing uh several years of basically the Wicked Women magazine and the parties and we're going to unpack those and that expression and that age I'm going to get ahead of myself here but it was a pretty it looks like a pretty fun party that happened back in the 80s um, and we're going to talk to Lisa a little bit about that as well as the exhibitions at the VPC that's all coming up on this episode of Well 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 here on Joy and the Community Radio Network you're getting well 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 with the team from Thorn Harbour Health If you have been at the Victorian Pride Centre of late, you would have seen some stunning images uh, from the Queer Gaze exhibition featuring images from the iconic lesbian magazine Wicked Women. And we are very fortunate to be joined by one of the co-founders of Wicked Women, uh, Lisa Salmon. Thanks for, for joining us today. Hello, thanks for inviting me onto your show. I'm super excited to be here. Now just first of all, it is so fantastic walking into the Pride Centre at the moment and seeing these images. They are just such, they're such beautiful images and, and, and there's also such a history behind them. But can you tell us about how this exhibition actually started? I'm really glad you like the, the images. I love them as well. And um, so I wanted to share them with my community and with the younger generation. So they're all sourced from parties that we ran and the zine that Jasper and I launched back in 1988. Um, So he donated all the ephemera and images and magazines and stuff from his garage to ACLA, the Australian Queer Archive, about eight years ago now. And so I went, popped in and had a squeeze at them and I was quite delighted to see that the imagery has still got such a vitality to it and I think also a relevance to today's audiences so yeah I've been visiting Aqua um, on and off over the years and reacquainting myself with the material and um, yeah I just kind of wanted to share it. Lisa, I saw the exhibition, loved it. Um, as I've said on the show to, before to Rachel, and I kind of recounted again as I went down there, you know, when I first, my first time out in the queer community was actually at a lesbian bar. I, I looked at these pictures and I had so many questions. I was very excited by this, but 
rather than get into that, let's just say, you know, take us through what was it like for lesbians back in the 1980s when those shots were done? What was the landscape like? Okay, so just prior to Jasper and I launching the magazine, when I came out in the mid to late 80s, um, the lesbian scene was dominated by a political agenda. Um, most dykes I knew were involved in setting up women's refuges and we all lived together in women-only share houses where every decision was made by consensus, that kind of thing. We were really forging a new way of living. Um, we'd meet at protest bars or there might be one night a week at a bar that was open for dykes. Um, and mostly we were defying patriarchy by, you know, not wearing any makeup and definitely by going under the radar. And then in the late 80s, there was a bit of a shift and a desire came, at, came forth for visibility. And that was when Jasper and I decided to launch the magazine. And so what we were doing was quite early days of Dykes being more visible and more interested in having um, a more raunchy kind of profile publicly. That raunchy profile, I mean, it, it, as you've, <laughs> if you've described it, it also sounds like really, I guess, kind of embracing and in this taking this ownership of your sexuality as well. Was that a factor? Oh, absolutely. We were really sick of the way women were shown passively in the media and in imagery and that's not how I experienced my sexuality and not how my friends around me experienced ourselves and so we wanted to um, I guess depict ourselves and yeah I, I think these images are, real, are a real antidote to what we see even still today like the way women are objectified and the cis male gaze it's an, an antidote to all that. I mean, it certainly is. I mean, it's called the queer gaze and it's certainly, as you've pointed out, it is very much the gay, a queer women's gaze and, and, and that comes across really strongly. How did you take the photos? Like what was the setup that was happening and, and, and how did that part of it really come about? Uh, so this is pre-internet days, remember, like no smartphones or anything and film was actually quite expensive. You had to go to a lab to get it printed. Um, Initially, when, the, when we published the zine, no one wanted to be on the cover, definitely. People weren't really into having that level of exposure. So most of the photos were of me and Jasper and our flatmate. And we took those photos at home without any studio. It's all really super low tech. And, but I think as well, maybe because of that, there is an intimacy that's conveyed. Like these were lovers taking photos of each other. They weren't done for commercial purposes. They were done on quite a personal level. And remember that we, like, we were really poor. We were punks. We, you could survive quite well on the dole back then. Rent was cheap. Um, we were anti-capitalist. We had, yeah, we were quite political. And, um, yeah, so those images really document our lives. Uh, you were talking about back in that day that you had to go get film processed somewhere, let alone you then have to go and get the zine physically published. Did that create any issues for you considering the content that you were publishing and the photos that you were getting produced? Did you worry about that or did you just, you know, how, how was that back then? 
We found a photo lab on Oxford Street run by a gay couple and they were they loved what we were doing and supported us. We managed to find um, community. Every hitch, every problem that we faced, we found solutions within the community. And in that, we also built ourselves a community. So, yeah, so they would print our photos for us. <laughs> Yeah, And as you were saying, you know, money was scarce. So how did you actually get the zine published? How did you get it out there? We did it really, we did it really cheaply. Like we photocopied the issues ourselves. And we did, we'd, so Jasper and I would carry copies in our backpacks and we'd walk about town spruiking um, advertisers. So there's a few advertisers from the queer community such as JL Leather and a few other um, gay businesses advertised, a few bookshops advertised as well. And um, yeah, so we did it on a wing and a prayer. A wing and a prayer? Is that what you're saying? Wing and a prayer. We'll, and, we'll make um, it one. Later, <laughs> later we ran fundraiser parties. So you were just telling us about the magazine. Now, how did the magazine transition into the parties? So Jasper and I, uh, I should clarify that I'm talking about Jasper now, who is a trans man. So when Jasper and I first got together, he um, identified, or he, he was in a female body and we were dykes and he identified as a dyke and his name was Francine. And he's more than happy for me to mention his former name. In fact, he wants me to talk about Francine and to remember her and um, allow her to make her mark on history. So, yeah, so Francine transitioned to become Jasper a couple of years into our relationship and a couple of years into the magazine being formed. Um, yeah, so we initially self-funded the magazine and I did the graphic design and we both wrote most of the stories and our flatmates wrote erotic stories. We had, um, there was a lot of humour in in the magazine. We had a test your erotic IQ kind of quiz and there were classified adverts, but actually we wrote most of them initially as well. But there, um, yeah, just to kind of get the ball rolling. So Jasper and I, so Francine and I would go out dressed in fetish gear and found it wasn't really, we weren't really comfortable going to dyke spaces in fetish gear. Um, we were harassed, actually. Um, and although it was okay in the gay male spaces, they embraced us. And so we wanted to, we realised that we needed to, well, we put out the call for um, club owners to start um, nights for that were a bit more raunchy and maybe... Um, with better lighting um, for dykes like us. There were lots around who liked to dress up and, and go out. Um, so we realised anyway, that we realised we had to DIY the situation, so we started putting on parties. Um, uh, yeah. on, before you, before you get into the parties, you, you said you were actually harassed for going out in gear to women's spaces? Yeah, yeah, we were. The, the climate wasn't great initially. Um, I actually had a woman stub out her cigarette on my butt when I was wearing chaps one time, and that was quite terrifying. Um, so it was actually unsafe for us 
to go to regular dyke nights, unfortunately. However, I, I actually saw that woman who did that a few years later at Ms. Wicked, so she eventually came to the party. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally, literally. Wait, what, what motivated that? What do you think their opposition was? Um, I'm not really sure. I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess we'd, ha- we'd need to speak to where feminism was at at the time. There was a lot of internal policing within the dyke community. Sadly, like it was almost like a, there was like a test how lesbian you are. I don't know, and we didn't pass. Yeah, and I think it was also um, sort of the emergence of, you know, third wave feminism, third wave feminism, which, you know, was all about, you know, being sex positive. And I think that there was um, some people from, you know, second wave feminism backgrounds who in a way didn't agree with with, um, some of the ideologies that were coming out of third wave feminism. So there was a, it was a bit of a time of, um, you know, certainly a transition, that's for sure. Um, Lisa, can you actually talk us through the parties? I mean, the parties are absolutely legendary. What what happened at them? <laughs> and I think we're more famous for Ms. Wicked now than we are than the actual magazine. But um, so they were they were fundraising parties initially, and they happened in squat friends' warehouses, and the occasional oh, we had them um at the Imperial, which downstairs was a drag queen bar. And we got hold of that venue and started running Ms. Wicked. So Ms. Wicked was um, a competition, an open competition with the goal to promote free and safe expression of lesbian sexuality in all its diversity. And we had a few different categories. It was quite daring. I mean, and people entered. I mean, women entered. They were really, really amazing. And the, the whole scene was was so full of vitality and excitement um yeah and there was also a lot of camp irreverence and humor that came through Lisa, I want to hang on. Before we, there's like, I have so many more questions now that come up. We've got this Ms. Wicked competition. We've got this camp irreverence. We want to, we're embracing lesbian, you know, in all its forms. We still have a lot more to unpack. We are talking with Lisa Salmon about Wicked Women and its amazing legacy here on Joy and the Community Radio Network. Stay with us. From HIV to COVID-19, STIs and everything in between, you're listening to Well, Well, Well on Joy and the Community Radio Network. You're listening to Well, Well, Well here on Joy and the Community Radio Network, and we're continuing the conversation with Lisa Salmon about the Queer Gays, an exhibition at the Victorian Pride Center. But more importantly, the Wicked Women Parties magazine, the Ms. Wicked title, the queer expression. Lisa, we just started to get you to sort of talk about the parties a little bit and looking at the pictures downstairs at the, at the VPC. It looks pretty, you, you keep using the word raunchy, but it also looks really exciting and this diverse queer celebration. Let's just let's just start with the, the competition here, the Ms. Wicked Comp. You, you started to say it was a different, you were entering around different expressions of lesbianism Tell us a little bit about that. What, what, if you set the scene for us. For what was it like being at one of these parties back then? Oh, okay. So, um, it was it was loud. <laughs> <laughs> Audiences were were really raucous and gave lots of cheek. Actually, at one of our first events, Jasper and I were quite horrified because some dykes in the audience 
um, were engaging in, the, in catcalling. That was a little bit mean-spirited. Like, the people on stage were amateurs. There was no... Um, and, yeah, so, anyway, I'm really am- I'm amazed in, in hindsight that Jasper and I got up on stage and um, just made the call to the audience that we don't need to leer, we don't need to behave like cis straight men when we're presented with female sexuality on stage. And um, so we got up in front of our own community and like basically told them off, <laughs> which was kind of brave, don't you think? 100%. But anyway, we, we, yeah, for us it was really important to make it safe for performers and to educate audiences that lesbians could enjoy public female sexual expression on, on our own terms rather than emulating traditional male yobbo kind of behaviour. And we sort of opened the door for that. So, so sure, the audiences were still catcalling, but the spirit of the room really changed after that. And it was much more supportive and much more, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. There was definitely a shift. And it was, yeah, we basically said, well, you know, you, you dare get up on stage and strut about and, and tell us your fantasies. Like it's such vulnerability involved in that. And we need to, we needed to respect that on stage. And I think everyone got it. And then, of yeah, course, so and then, and then with, within the competition, then someone, of course, you know, was crowned. Uh, how, how, how many Miss Wicked um, titles were there over the, and how long did it go on for? It went on for four years. There are four Miss Wicked in total and one Mr. Wicked. Really? So the guys got the guys got a bit jealous. So we ended up having Mr. Wigan as well. Well, uh, so our audiences were predominantly dykes, predominantly gay women came, but we were also very open to our trans men and women, Um, and our gay boyfriends came as well. And often, actually, they were on stage used as props in people's fantasies. And yeah, so it was a really mixed crowd, which wasn't that common back then like yeah so that was another area where we we broke ground that that was actually something i was going to ask you because i was looking at the pictures and i saw a guy here and there and i was like i reckon that would have been me back in the day (laughs) if that was you know if i if i was on the scene because it sounds awesome it sounds like an awesome environment to be in um you know so fast forward to now having sort of the exhibition looking back at those images what are some of your impressions and immediate, you know, feelings and emotions when you look back at the exhibition and in those pictures? Mostly, I feel pride. I feel really proud of what we did, and admire our courage and tenacity, and we're willing to put ourselves on the line for what we believed in. I'm really amazed at our sassiness. I I wish I could have some more of that on board now. Yeah, I think it's really worth celebrating. Do you know, Lisa, saying that, and I think, you know, a lot of us can relate to that who are not in our 20s anymore. And, and, and you do look back and think, gee, if I could have some of that courage and bravery back. It's a shame that we sort of lose it. But I think losing, looking at those images, I think for those of us who are not in our 20s, it, it actually um, – reminds you of that in a really good way and reminds you that you can still have that. And I think there'll be a lot of people who are coming and looking at that exhibition and they'll be feeling a sense of, you know, a resurgence of, of, of courage or, I, you know, again. So another brilliant thing I think to take away from the exhibition is that. Yeah, thank you. 
Really um, nice to hear. I wanted to um, ask you, what are some of your most memorable moments from, I guess, the events, but you can also the magazine as well? I think what is most memorable is the sense of community that we have. Um, like you heard it in the wild rockers crowd, you saw it in the ingenuity of performers on stage, the gay boys that came along and joined us. Maud's strawberry moment is legendary. I mean, that was delectable and forever in my imagination. Sky's whip cracking, groovy. So these are um, Ms. Wicked. Groovy getting tattooed on stage as part of her act. That was that was pretty amazing. Um, there's a picture of that the in the exhibition, isn't there? Of the getting tattooed. Yeah, there's the a tattoo. picture of that in the exhibition. Yeah. yeah. Like that's actually, actually getting tattooed on stage. The shenanigans backstage was lots of fun. The dance floor was always really pulsing with energy. I do remember one time the cops came. <laughs> I don't know if I can say this. <laughs> yeah, you can say um, it. There was a noise complaint. <laughs> There was a noise complaint and the cops came and Monkey was MC on stage and she she took the hat of the cap off one of the policemen and put it on her head and she pranced about on stage <laughs> with it. And they kind of just stood there wide eyed looking like Brad and Janet in um Rocky Horror, <laughs> Rocky Horror Picture Show. And they and they just backed out that it was just left us to it. They were like, Okay, yeah it was quite a different era right absolutely and how i mean again that speaks to the power of that space and the energy that (laughs) you know monkey as mc must have been feeling you know to be just so bold in that regard really bold there was a lot of boldness (laughs) yeah with that in mind, one of the things that I, I, you know, looking at those pictures now, and you kind of alluded to this at the start of the interview, could something like this happen in the contemporary landscape? Uh, I think I think it should happen, actually. I think um, I would love it if some people started up a Ms. Wicked now. Like, like physical queer space is that what you mean like well physical, physical queer, queer space, space and as well important. yeah I, i'm intru- i guess I'm, i was thinking as well you know you you kind of alluded to earlier this is all before social media you know would it be the same would it be different do you think there would be different barriers to getting up on stage now um but yeah i mean any reflections that you have around what would contemporary ms wicked party look like um well we were like remember that we were pushing back against like we were there was an underpinning of feminism in what we were on about and what we were doing. And I think things move in cycles and perhaps now it's time for a little pushback again, like maybe pushback against assimilation, the commercialization, the pink dollar, like the scene has changed. And we were like, we had a punk aesthetic. We were quite raw. It'd be great to see some more of that about town. I'm really sad that there's no, no one gets to flash their boobs at Mardi Gras anymore. Um, going topless in public is the best feeling. <laughs> um, so we've got more rights now, and it's certainly safer on some levels, but we still need queer physical spaces, and we still need to push back against heteronormativity, in my opinion. Our fight for trans rights has barely begun. We need to rally around and protect our hard-won rights and celebrate them and and queer spaces are great for that 
like you get to rally around each other and support each other. That's a really interesting point because I mean that's a really live discussion that we see at the moment around you know amongst women and uh you know people talking about that term women and what that means to them and oftentimes from a trans exclusionary front and i guess is seeing that at the moment what are your thoughts having you know been a founder and a person who fostered a space um you know decades ago um yeah how do you how do you respond to sort of what we've been seeing lately um i'm really cautious about um I get what I I want to say is I welcome press into into my spaces. Mm. Like I don't want to exclude anyone, even press. Like I'm open to having discussions with them and finding out how they can be exclusionary. Like I don't understand where they're coming from. And um, yeah, so I think open discussion is always the way forward. Absolutely. I'm just wondering, Lisa, you know, a lot of people have been through now and seen the ex- the exhibition. What have some of the reactions been from people who actually were around at that time, but also from those who've seen it for the first time? Uh, opening night was like a reunion of um, women from and trans guys and guys from back then. And it was so warm and hearty and so great to hear everyone's stories come out. Um, and I think, I think seeing the photos definitely can, you know, trigger that memories of that time and, and, um, that can only really be a good thing. I mean, there's lots of nostalgia, but we do need to actively treasure our past. Like we know that women's history gets lost, that queer history definitely gets lost and queer women's history, especially. And like, I'm taking steps to actively relish it and save it. And I'm, I love that Aqua exists. Zach was all about about preserving our, our history. Queer history matters and we need to share our stories, keep them alive. That is phenomenal. Look, I, I just I, I really have taken so much from the exhibition and you know really just want to say thank you um, because I think your voice is such an important one. Um, today and you know looking back at that legacy as well so thank you personally and thank you for joining us on well 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 thanks so much for the opportunity to share great to meet you both thanks lisa you're listening to well 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 here on joy and the community radio network you're getting well 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 with the team from thorn harbor health that has been another episode of Well, Well, Well here on Joy and the Community Radio Network. A big thank you to all of our guests this week. And also, too, we've mentioned a few links on the episode, so we'll have those on the Joy show page, joy.org.au slash wellwellwell, where you can also catch up and subscribe to previous episodes of Well, 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 or subscribe to us for future episodes of Well, Well, Well. Look after yourself and those around you. This is Well, Well, Well here on Joy and the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 supported by Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. For more LGBTIQ plus health and wellbeing and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.